Hi, and welcome to another episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Jo Ritty, and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional custodians of the lands and airwaves where this conversation takes place. Land which was never ceded, land where communities came together to eat seasonally, locally and without exhausting resources. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and rising. Today I'm talking to Norni Barrow from Mabu Mabu. Norni's from the Merriam people of Mere Island in the Torres Strait and is the executive chef, CEO and owner of Mabu Mabu. Norni has been a professional chef for more than 25 years and draws inspiration from her cultural heritage and from the abundance of natural resources she grew up with and now champions. Norni's cooking style reflects her passion for using local sustainable ingredients and traditional and modern techniques to create contemporary creative dishes that tell a story, her story. Norni has published a book, Mabu Mabu, an Australian kitchen cookbook, which is a guide to using native flavours in everyday cooking. Mabu Mabu means help yourself, and this reflects Norni's generous approach to cooking and life. On May 23rd, Norni is joining forces with the Stomping Ground team for a Good Beer Week event, where they'll present a multi-course Torres Strait Island feast inspired by a creation story. Each course will link to different elements of the story and will include seafood, native meats, as well as native ingredients from across Australia. Norni is an incredible storyteller, and I was hanging off her every word in this conversation. This event will certainly be a memorable one. Make sure you go to the Good Beer Week website and book your tickets. But listen to the podcast first. Hi, Norni. I'm Jo. Oh, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you. So, Dizzy earrings on? I have. I love my house with Dizzy earrings. But, um, I like to wear I them in my I'm... house with Dizzy. Yeah, you do. Well, people actually, I get lots of comments on it, but you're the first person who's known what they were. <laughs> uh, Chrissy from House of Dizzy and I are home girls. Yeah, all oh, right. The well, Stomping Ground team is really amazing here. Well, maybe let's start with that. Like, how did, so, how do you know them to work in with them? You seem to know them all. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, um, Stomping Ground is like when I. I opened up um, Big Esso. They, um, I, I didn't go to any other beer company. I came and I sat with Cassie and I said, I don't have a beer plan, but I want you to be my main beer yeah, wow. supplier. And she went, what? You don't have a beer? I said, no, I want you to I say yes. I want to work with, you know, Stomping Ground because they do amazing things in the community. They work with, like, small little growers to make different beers out there. They... Um, are in the gay community they're in like you know um, the indigenous community and they they sort of build things and do these one-off things with great things and I wanted to work with like a women-led sort of Cassie and and you know um, guys from Blackheart and Sparrows as well and so yeah I sort of walked in here and I set up a meeting with them and I said, I want you to be, <laughs> I don't have a beef plan. <laughs> yeah, nice. But yeah, so in our relationship has sort of grown from there. And we've like now made, you know, a beer together. And now we're doing this an amazing event as well that tells a story about where I grew up, but also where I'm from. Yeah. So it's two different islands and the story is, is told through this. The meal is told through, the story is told through the meal. Yeah, and no, I was reading about that and I... 
I feel like I'm all about stories at the moment. Everywhere I turn, it's all about storytelling. I guess that's what I like. I like to hear other people's stories as well. So, And I was actually looking up, so you're saying two islands. I looked up Mere. Is it Mere Island? Mere, yeah. Mere Island. Uh, so I'm from Mere. So Gellamin lands on Mare at the end, but starts on Moa Island. Okay. And then goes from Moa to Mare. Are they, they neighbouring or are they...? No, they're very far oh. apart, actually. Like, Mare is, like, the furthest island away from, like, near Great Barrier Reef at okay. the edge of that, you know. And Moa is more close to probably the tip of Cape York and um, in a cluster. Yeah. Because there's, like over 25 inhabited islands so it's in a cluster with Badu and Moai and, and you can see it from TI and Prince of Wales and Friday Island and stuff. And do, do people go between the islands? Yep. Is that what happens? Yeah. And, and, and I guess share food and stories? Is yep. that how it works? Well because like you know a majority of the clusters of um, islands is that they have different dialects as well. Oh wow. So yep. we speak different languages. Yeah. Uh, I speak Merriam Mir and um yeah, then there's Karolag, there's different languages as you go, Buigu, Saibai, you know, um, they all have different languages that we think, but we all speak a Creole. Okay, yeah. To, you know, as well. Yeah. And food-wise, do the islands, can you grow, like, what, what's the yeah, food Yeah, it's tropical. Yeah, yeah. So it's tropical. We grow up with all the tropical natives, like everything from sorpis to wangais to uh, sea almonds, you know, um, uh, wild passion fruits, yams, uh, taros. Oh, uh, wow, yeah. You know, so I grew up, I am actually grew up on the islands. I came down to mainland Australia for high school. Oh, okay. Um, but I'm born and bred yeah. up there. So, yeah, I grew up eating vast amount of things from clams to everything that comes out of the ocean. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, we, we just grew up with traditional food. Um, and like my aunt, my dad, my dad was really cool. He taught me how to make a lot of traditional food and my aunts and stuff. But yeah, we just eat whatever the land gives us yeah. and the ocean gives us. And that's how you grew up. And yeah, I guess at a young age, I used to pickle a lot. <laughs> I used to skip confirmation classes <laughs> when my dad sent me to confirmation class. And I would like be picky, pickling tamarinds and fresh tamarinds off the tree and mangoes and stuff and I'd be like shaking it up putting it in the jars and like that was salt or with, what, what <laughs> with like all kinds of things like soy sauce yeah, wow. sugars you know um, so and then I would go out on the reef in the morning get fresh octopus bring it home and then pickle it so that I would eat the days before and I'd put them in like jars and stuff so it's amazing it's almost like, I mean, it's such curiosity, isn't it? It's sort of almost like science to see what would happen. Well, yeah. I mean, like, you, you know, kids like us, we grow up with a vast palate. Yeah. You know, we eat everything from oysters off the rocks to periwinkles to, you know, um, the palate is just massive for us. Yeah. We don't, we don't, like, now it, it's great for me too because now, like, as an adult, I look at everything and taste everything and try everything. Yeah. Because we just have a big palate. You see these, like, kids growing up in, in, in the Torres Strait are eating turtle cooked in blood or dugong or they're eating liver. They're, yeah. you know, they don't waste anything and they're eating fresh fruit off the trees, whatever they go out, like, and they just drag nets and they're, like, only 10. Yeah, exactly right. You so know? it's not even that it's seasonality. They're just doing it because that's what there is at that time yeah. and they're out there. Yep. Yeah, I love that.
so we just um, we just live off whatever is there you know and um, we only take what we need you know um, and seasons come obviously as seasons go but we enjoy it for the seasons when it comes and then when the season is done well the next one comes along so we already grew up in this sort of seasonality and, and totally. you know um, uh, like kind of growing up like having your own food in the backyard or digging it up or going out and catching it yourself and you just don't know any different though that's right yeah so in in bringing that to what you do here yeah. is it is it easy to translate well it is because i think it's the consumer so i just want to teach the consumer to have stuff in the seasons and um, we always talk about seasonality, but it's always a bit boring sometimes. Because yeah. they're like, seasonality, oh yeah, pumpkin. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. you can eat pumpkin every day of the week. Yeah. Like, do something different. Um, and it's our fault, you know, it's our fault as consumers that we want to have a tomato all year round. You know, instead of having it at its best. Or mangoes, just at, you know, Christmas time comes, I'm like, yes, cherries and mangoes. You know, that's when I want to be eating it. I don't want a mango in July. Uh, I mean, in um, yeah, June, you know. Just don't give it to me. Like, let's enjoy it when it comes. Absolutely. So what I try and do as part of my business, I guess, is I work with the native seasons as well as the regular seasons. And I tweak as much as I want. If the season is short and it's a native season and it's only going to be there for like three weeks well then you only get it for three weeks and then I will tweak it I'll change the menu to suit that oh it's it we've enjoyed it thanks it's gone now yeah. come back next year and enjoy it again yeah and was it easy to adapt to the um what's found here on um Melbourne? Wurundjeri land yeah. in um Bunwurrung? is it Wurundjeri and Burong um, do you just go and taste things <laughs> no like to discover you know, or yeah i do i go out to the markets i'm a big visual person and the way that i create it's it's weird because i don't i don't create months ahead i create on the day because i want to see what is out there on the day and um so i could make up and we could do up a new menu that we're going to execute in just on that day not that I've been thinking about it for a while. Yeah. It's because I constantly go to the markets, I constantly see what's out there, and I want to actually follow what what's out there. Yeah. And I want to make that av- that availability now. Yeah. You know, and it works for me, and um, I like that because then I always am in touch with what's out there, and I I see everything with my eyes. So, and I'm like, oh my god, that's delicious, and and I'm like, oh, that looks really good. Let's do that. You know, and and it's about being a part of that market scene too, as well, and understanding it. And I want my chefs to understand too that they don't just look it up on a on the internet and go, "What's in season now?" I want them to actually go out and see what's there, because there's so much amazing stuff out there. And so it's about thinking outside the box all the time. And because I grew up with yams and you know all the different types of seafood and i want to make it sustainable too as well um, especially in the seafood in- industry so i introduce things like shell life so, so like periwinkles uh, pippies and all those because those are things that can sustain themselves too as well yeah, right. and making your menu sustainable and and 
I use Kingfish, but um, I buy it. I get it from a a farm that is in open water in South Australia. And yeah, it's going to be a little bit more pricey. But the thing is, is that I want to not over overfish. I don't want to think. I want to be a part of the change of how we think of seasonality too, as well. Um, so I think of it as a broad perspective, I guess. Absolutely, and I was thinking too when you're speaking. You know, um, a lot of those ingredients and the native ingredients are really good for us as well. I know we're not yeah. supposed to use the word superfood anymore, but they kind of they are superfoods, aren't they? Things well, like Guangdong and yeah, but I mean, like they're also a part of this land. That's right. You know, they're they're meant to be here. Yes. So we're meant to use them. Yes. You know, and it, again, it's like you know, it's up to us to ask for it. Because it is at market, you know. Uh, someone will always have something that yeah. is native there. It's just that we don't ask for it. So the more we ask for it, the more it'll be on the, in the market more frequently. Yeah. And and this stuff grows like wildfire here because it's meant to, it's be, meant to here. be here. Yeah, rather than the hooved animals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I um, and I'm a big believer that you should grow what is good for your state too, as well. Yeah. If Bush tomatoes can't grow here. They can't grow here. No. You know, let's not force that. Mm. But, yeah, each state has an amazing fruit or spice or stuff. And we should be planting what is best for the soil that we live on. Well, I was amazed even just on the Mornington Peninsula how many um, edible, like how much bush tucker there was. We went on a, yeah. a, a guided tour with Uncle Lionel and he took us all around and he was just picking things off here and there and everywhere and talking about the, um, like the, the, the bulbs that, that you can pull up and what are yeah. they, the, maybe the orchids or anyway that was almost like a potato well, or well the bulbs actually were all over Mary Creek yeah, and right. they used to be in the uh, you know the the is it the Yarra that runs through the city yes so they used to be everywhere and you know how they call that the mud city now. yeah because they dug all that stuff off and those bulbs used to filter the water and keep it fresh. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, yeah. but they decided to pull all of these like natives out, and those were the filters. You could eat them, but you could filter it because, like, you know, when you're in the city and you see, yeah, underneath it is clean, but above it is dirty. Yeah, they say because it's an upside down river. Yeah, but, um, I've never really understood that. That actually makes a lot of sense as well. Well, there used to be a waterfall there, like yes. where the hotels are, you know, and the waterfall was basically ripped out and like the city was put in yeah. and they took out all the filters which was these bulbs and, and the I guess the wildlife you know because there used to be eels and everything of in there. course but I think it was also a really important meeting place and maybe a yeah. point where they could cross over yeah my understanding was it was they were quite big rocks yeah then, so yeah. you yeah. know I think where to blame and you see Mary Creek and and stuff and patches of it is really good because they're trying to rejuvenate that. But patch of it, again, they've taken out the ecosystem of these natural plants and everything that were helping let us create, like, clean water. Yeah, absolutely. It's where to blame. You oh, know? well, But yeah. the thing is, is that I think of ourselves too as well, is that we're, we should be the ones making the change. And that's why I guess I create and, and make people 
think outside the box when they're eating. And, you know, I, I put things like pig's blood, you know, traditional, you know, um, wild boar that's cooked in pig's blood and, mm. you know, its own blood and stuff. And I put it on the menu and, and it sells because, like, I want people to try different things because I'm not about just the pretty stuff. I want them to eat all of the bits. And it's interesting. And I don't liken it to French food but I do remember you know when I was in, I lived in the south of France a long time ago and the people there were all about they're super into seasonality just in those little villages yeah. and living on the land and stuff and, and for Christmas we had a civet de sanglier so a wild boar that yeah. had been macerating in blood for three days and so I think it's it must be a modern society thing where we're just doing this whole oh that's awful and we don't use all the it parts is. and we throw stuff away well it's because we, people are picky or people think because they're paying for food they can get what they want yeah you know and and that's fair that's a fair thing you know but it's also our fault that we you know the consumer kind of dictates you know what is out there mm. even you look at supermarkets it, it dictates what we put in supermarkets and because that's what people are going to buy yeah you know and we're just used to having this over and over and over and over and over thing yeah. of, the, of the same thing. Yeah. And now you're seeing it though, it, it's expanding better. Even in supermarkets, it's expanding now too as well, which is so cool. Yeah. And supermarkets then are also supporting farmers now that are growing that stuff just for them. Yeah. And it, it, that's really cool too, you know? It's good. I like the optimism. <laughs> oh, I, I just you have to be I've been you. I've been to these farms, you know. Yeah, I've good. seen it. I'm a Coles ambassador, so Okay, great. You know, and um, I've been to the farms where they actually make the things and you can see them and and yeah, everybody thinks that like it's and 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 I understand big supermarkets say they monopolize things and stuff like that, but the thing is is that I I think you you have to look at the broader picture because Farmers need to be supported in every which way, and I'm, a, I'm, I buy directly from farmers yeah. for my whole, for my company. You know, I barely use the middle guys. I need to do it if I'm desperate, but I, I give, I want to give the farmers 100% of the money. Yeah. So I go directly from them and I buy directly from them. I pay all the shipping costs and whatever because at the end of the day, I'm only gonna, it's gonna cost me less than going through a wholesaler. Did you always think you would be, a, well, you're a businesswoman as well as a yeah. chef. Was that always, how did that come about? So how do you go from obviously loving cooking on the <laughs> islands and then coming to Melbourne and then now you... To be honest, I, I like, you know, uh, I never knew I was going to be in this position. I still think of myself as like a poor kid that grew up in one bedroom with my dad at the back of Thursday Island. Uh, and I still think that way a lot of the time. Um, even though I have a very big company now, I have 80 employees in my company. Um, and yeah, I just, um, I never thought I would be in this position, but I, I'm a numbers girl and I just, I wanted to get into this industry because one, they didn't allow, I, I grew up in chefing in the 90s, so you know that's where women weren't welcomed <laughs> yeah. yeah and I guess I grew up with a single father too as well so my dad was like you're gonna have to fight every which way that you go stick to it make it through yeah. 
So I think I overachieve and, and do a lot more and I have FOMO and I sleep very little because I want to achieve as much as I... I think half of it's because of me and half of it's because my dad never got to achieve what he wanted because we were so poor and he was sick so early. So And I always had to have a roof over my head from when I was young. So I just had to sort of make it happen. Yeah. But the thing is, is that you grow up in your own environment which then teaches you to be who you are as a human and an adult afterwards so I'm very grateful that I grew up the way that I did because it actually now shows in my business and so when I opened it it was just basically a story of me growing up yeah so every time we do a menu there's always a little bit of my childhood in it of me going out picking you know uh, periwinkles myself and all of those things so it and naming my products after my grand and making it to her specifications because i made it i my first tea that i put out for my products is it's called alba's tea after my grand who uh helped raise me when i was a teenager and she used to like wearing hibiscus flowers in her hair she was very colorful and so i made the base of my first tea hibiscus and then and put all the natives flavors into it to to make the tea so for me it's it's always the story yeah it's always the story of me growing up and and those little bits you know from different products that i've put on the shelf of my career or what's happened to me or people that i've worked with and and had relationships with and and then it comes out in everything i do and how i build a venue too and, and stuff like that about well i grew up there so those baskets come from there that shark comes from there because my aunt had a really lovely um, husband that was really lovely to me and my sisters growing up so I bought the shark from his island you know so it all represents who I who I am and how I grew up yeah and how will the storytelling work at the good beer week oh my god it's so cool the gallop story is so cool it's like basically I guess a bit of a childhood story that we grow up myths and legends story it's a creation story and a myths and legends story and the best thing about you know this story is that it can be told through the food because yeah. it's about sharing and the food and and what they hunt for and eat during it too as well and where they end up so bits and pieces as the food comes out is is a part of the story and we create the menu because of the story. And so you're working in with the yeah. the crew here. Yeah, so I'm going to be working yeah. with Stomping Ground uh, and their kitchen team here too as well yeah. to curate that menu um, to get it so that it will then flow with the story as it's being told. But do you keep it fairly loose? Because you were saying before you don't like to plan too far in advance or, or for something like this, would you have to tie it down a bit? Uh, no, like, you know, this story is very, like, it It just has, like, two elements that needs to be in, in okay, when it comes to food, and then the rest will then tie in. That's great. Um, because this story is, is, yeah, I feel like it's a bit of me growing up too as well, because I grew up on Moa, and I, I believe the story, and I've seen the like I, well what I think is is the evidence of the story but then I also am from Mer 
where Gelam landed and we know the story of there and and we believe in the rocks and stuff that are there. So it basically is my whole childhood, you know? Yeah. One language I speak and one language I grew up in. So it it's this creation story that I sometimes think is it represents me. Beautiful. As well. And and are the beers matching? Yeah, so we're well. gonna match the beers um, with it and um, I don't I, I I don't know if I can say but we, we we're working on I think we might launch a beer another beer together for, for this that we're so um, making it, native ingredients yeah, yeah that we're making together um, to launch with with the on on the night too as well exciting and so what should people expect when they come to that 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 you will you be telling the story i am i am i will be telling the story the whole way through and um i guess uh expect to be taken and and sort of the the whole idea of this story is for you to feel like you're there you're the you're the that child you're that mother um and you're in the position of things because how you how we do the food is integrated into the story so you have to be a part of it the story and you have the option in in the story as well okay so it's um yeah it's about everybody being part of the story too as well yeah. at some stage of as the story gets told you will be a participant and you won't even realize it okay you know um, yeah. of it but yeah what a great idea, and um, I just re- I just I was reading about it, and just I couldn't. Now that you've explained it, I just think, gosh, it's just we need more of that kind of thing. And I think stories um, and food bring people together, and I think what a great way of bringing those, both those elements together. Yeah, look, I mean, like for me, like these are nursery rhymes or childhood things that, like you know, and it's also about uh, representing my culture too as well. And, uh, you know, when I started, I didn't realize I was going to make such a big impact of being in the Torres Strait Islander, you know, and, uh, and, it, and people who look like me too as well, no matter where you're from. I've got, I've got Samoan kids that work for me, all this stuff, and I, and I represent all of them. They look at me and they go, I can do it too, yeah. you know? And I have... 12 different nationalities that work for me. I know every single staff member that works for me. I make sure that I know them, have conversations with them, no matter what position they're in. Um, because once upon a time, I was them. And uh, for me, it's just, I love culture. Yeah. I love the idea that we're all different. And I, I guess for me, I'm just, I'm just putting my, my culture on the map now. Thank you, and um, all the best for the 23rd. It sounds amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Conversation with a Chef with Norni Biro from Mabu Mabu. You can check out all the greatness on Instagram at M-A-B-U underscore M-A-B-U underscore A-U-S. And if I were you, I'd be jumping on the Good Beer Week site and booking tickets to Norni's event in May. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more stories from other chefs, I'm on Instagram at Conversation with a Chef, and you can read the chat at www.conversationwithachef.com. I'd love it if you told a friend about my chats, and you can follow me on Apple and Spotify podcasts. 
then I know that you've been here. <laughs> Once again, thanks for listening and have a great day.